I want Sarah to have the ultimate life experience. I really want that for her. When she needed to be the general manager, that was a conversation I was having in my mind. This is uncomfortable, but I want her to have the life that she looked back and said, I did everything I wanted to do and I don't have any regrets. Welcome to episode 109 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Brad K. Spear, who is author of The Survival Guide to Working with Your Spouse. And this was a topic that was super fascinating because when you think about all of us, especially in a small business, especially in construction, working with your spouse is almost a necessity and it happens to all of us, whether it be in design, whether it be in accounting, whether it work in business development and the reality is we bring business home, especially as a small family company. And so he had some amazing points that we talked about on the podcast, you know, how to set expectations, how to uh, generate the roles that each of you play. And then also the company, he's built an amazing company, mechanical and plumbing, uh, hundreds of employees and how he set that company culture, how he's created that same implementation of working with his spouse to now working with his employees and creating that firm. So there's some amazing content in this episode. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt and I have a fellow Brad with me, Brad Casebeer. Welcome, Brad. Thank you so much for having me. It's already a good start with that good name. So yeah, it's good to be a Brad. <laughs> well, it, what's awesome, and the reason I really wanted to bring you on, I was very excited to have you on as a guest. And for those listening, Brad, he is the author of the survival the survival guide to working with your spouse. And you know, for all of us that are in a small business entrepreneur, right? This is definitely um, a huge part of life for most of us. And so, Brad, I'm going to start there. I mean, it, you know, just the the book that you have, the topic, the reality that all of us deal with, you know, what makes working with your spouse challenging? Uh, <laughs> work's challenging enough, right? And then you, you work into a, a romantic relationship into the work environment and it, it's all <laughs> kinds of hard, you know? I, and, and there's going to be conflict. Um, eventually, you might want to have sex with this person. <laughs> and so it's like, honestly, it's like this is... It, things get really, really, uh, really intense and raw around work. And it's, um, it, you know, it could be that y your fortune could be completely lost. You go broke and people are making decisions you don't trust. That's, it's a nightmare. So, you know, as you've consulted with people and maybe look back at your own business, because you have a flourishing business. I mean, you've been very successful and you and your wife working together. You know, what are, w without getting into the success you've had as, as a spouse, I mean, you touched upon this, that when you work with your spouse, there's no doubt there's the romantic intimate side that you want to have at some point, but you have the work side. And then there has to be a clear separation of responsibility, accountability, because if one of you think like your boss and the other one, I know I've dealt with that with work with my wife and she's all brag, quit bossing me around. So, you know, that, that part's super tough to balance. It is. It is. And I think, uh, this is, this is where the book comes in is it's very, um, I skipped all the chapters to sell you on why the book's going to help you. I just went straight into the meat of the stuff that worked for us. It's like, let's get to the point. Right. These are the things we applied that actually worked. And, uh, you know, creating some real structure um, and real roles and real responsibilities uh, just cleans up a lot of that, those gray areas where you might be, um, we just would have a lot of conflict because you're, you're, you're in each other's lane you're second guessing each other's decisions and it's really inefficient. So, so talk about that. I mean, from your side, Brad, how long was it that you and your wife were working together? What, was it from the very beginning or did it happen down the road? Yeah. We, um, I, I uh, started my business when I was 23 and it, we modeled um, my parents' business. My dad came to me one day and said, you should start your own business. I think you do something different with it than I would. <clears throat> and he was a single operator uh, construction company and I was the only employee he had for any amount of time. Um, and he just, he's a craftsman. He loves doing it himself. And then my mom would handle the taxes. And so I wasn't really planning on this. And so I just decided to do it. And then by default, Sarah got the tax job because that's what your wife does. <laughs> so she was just gifted with this job <laughs> and, and she agreed, but it wasn't like she didn't have any interest in this. She was just doing it to help out. And I think that's like the most common, right. you know, suck your spouse in story probably out there. Yeah. I think that's really common. I think most people that are listening can relate that, you know, they start a business, they have a venture and, and 
in construction, you know, a lot of us have grown up in the industry, you know, family, relatives. Um, so point of entry, you know, and, and we talk about this a lot, the point of entry in construction is a little bit easier than most fields, right? Because you, mm-hmm. if you have experience, you can go get your license, you can get started, you start building your marketing plan. So with so many small businesses out there, we are prone to, we start our business, we start to grow, we hire someone, we need some in-house help, we need back-end, whatever it may be. Then our, our spouse comes into play and then they're maybe doing accounting or design work or whatever it may be. And now you're just instantly like connected in every way. That's it. That's, I think it's a slippery slope and there you are. <laughs> so, so from your side, and, and, and I guess to give a little context, because as before we dive into the spouse side, I, you know, for you, Brad, for Radiant Plumbing and Air Conditioning, right, which is your company. I mean, it's it's not a small company. I mean, how many employees do you have? I'm uh, over 250. I don't really know. It's it's a lot. <laughs> so so what's fascinating to me? I mean, I I look at my firm. So we're you know we're general contractors, 15 of us, and I think okay, first off, 250 people. I mean, just speak about just how you organize uh, that structure with two 250 employees and keep that culture alive. Mm-hmm. Well, that's. Um that's a huge topic and and culture is is a, just an absolute passion of mine but um it all starts with the same structure that's in this book um you, you get org chart you get you get really clear on your on your roles and your vision and uh you start you you implement that you know and then and, and you the the husband and wife sit in all the seats in an org chart and it almost seems silly when you're a company of two uh, to build an org chart out, but you're crazy if you don't do it. It probably uh, was the best thing that happened for our marriage is because we got super clear on what all the roles in the business were, the ones that we wanted in the future, the ones we wanted to hire for sooner than later because we didn't enjoy. And and then those those org chart roles come with responsibilities and you have a, this big conversation. You agree on, okay, if you're in charge of marketing, this is what the marketing person is responsible to deliver. Are you, do you really want that? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, you're responsible now. <laughs> and so the, the accountability is kind of built in when you have those kind of conversations. So that's interesting. So, so before getting to the company structure, when you talk about, and this is what's unique about your book, I think most books, you know, they, they counsel you, they have content, they have experiences, you know, um, really the context there is, is what you're reading, but what's different about yours is you actually have a worksheet, you have a workbook. So you know, it's meant to be more hands-on for, for the user that's reading it. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because I, I tend to forget uh, to mention it. It's really important. This, is, um, this, this isn't designed to, it is a workbook. It's not designed for leisurely reading. Like there's stuff to fill out and you really should do it with your partner. Like one of the biggest mistakes I see people make, A, is don't get coaching. And then B, they get coaching by themselves and then try to sell their partner on it later. Do it together. If you're going to go to a conference, do it together. If you're going to go see a speaker, read a book, you should do it together and compare notes because this is where so much conflict comes in. And I, I guarantee you, if anybody's worked with their spouse for any amount of time, they've had this experience, they come back super excited about all the stuff they've learned, which is really threatening to your partner. They're going to see you overly excited and they're going to be like, no, no, no. I got to protect you from whatever it was, the snake oil that they sold you. And it's instant resistance and, and you're in deadlock conflict again. And, and there was some price of magic in there. But if, if, yeah, do it together. Read this book together. That's, that's the, the upshot of it. I'm glad you brought that up because just even outside of the spouse relationship. So just a few weeks ago, I was at uh, the CBUSA conference in Colorado. And CBUSA is like a national buying group for custom builders. It was just acquired by Builder Trend, but it's it's a select group of builders around the country. And the the funny thing is, I was just having a conversation. There was a contractor from the Midwest, and he was telling me, "He's all, you know what, Brad? The, the issue I struggle with. Him and his brother had taken over the company for their dad from their dad, and so it's brother and brother. They're building this company, and he said, I've been really big on attending these conferences and networking and strategy, and I come to these things and I hear the economic people speak about the market and forecasting." And my part, my brother doesn't come. I get back with all these ideas and he shuts them all down. So like yeah. I, I get all this information and it gets shut down. So, I mean, it's similar whether you have a partner, whether you have a spouse. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, hundred percent. Like we, we've, uh, we had some friends that worked with um, Tony Robbins um, for years and he was really adamant about this. He was like, if you do those events, he said, 
these, you come back, you've grown so much for the week you're gone and your spouse is on a different plane and it causes so much disruptions. Like always go with your spouse. And it was, uh, yeah, we just seen it. I mean, over and over and over again. So yeah, definitely do it together. And then, and then brainstorm, take away what you want, come back and implement that stuff, whatever you find. So when you were creating the book and especially the, the org chart and the workbook and everything, was this something that your wife had helped you with? I mean, how did that collaboration happen between the two of you? The book? Yeah, for the book itself. Yeah, the book, well, ironically, we had some big fights about the book. Um, <laughs> we, we were, we were going to write the book together and really struggled with getting it off the ground. And I'm, I'm just by name, I'm a writer. I like to write. It's just very natural and intuitive to me. I wake up in the morning and write. I mean, it's just like, this is not even a thing for me. And so I finally said, I'm going to just start writing some stuff. Is that okay? And she said, yes. And then I was trying to write from the we perspective and oh, I couldn't even do it. I was so hard because it was like, how do I write from the, I try it sometime with somebody else who's going to really care about the we perspective. It's like, so I came back and I said, can I just write from the me perspective and what you look at the content and then we change it later if you want. And I ended up writing the whole book. And then when it was all done, it's like, this is just your book. Just run with it. So that's kind of how that all went. But I mean, we literally were out on a date and like, got, I got so angry because we, we had some conflict about whose idea the book was. It was just unbelievable. <laughs> it was like, was, this is just so, so weird that we would the be The funny this thing angry is we can all book. relate. You know, if I interrupt you, Brad, as you're talking about that, it's funny because we can all relate that. There's these little things sometimes where it triggers and you're like, why? This isn't really important. And yet here we are. Ah, oh, the ego is a, it's a, it's a <laughs> dreadful thing. It really is. But um, yeah, it, it, so really just, this really just became this thing that I just had to get done and I think can really help a lot of people. Um, so it just, I it needed to get it out. And then once it was out, we looked at it and we're like, yeah, I think this is a complete project. Let's just make it go live. So then as, as far as the workbook though, I would imagine that there was either trial and error. I mean, we're, Outside of the book itself, where you have the worksheet, I mean, for you and your wife to sit down and, and really come up with a plan that we need to have roles, you know, this is your success story. What initiated that with your business, with Radiant for you and Sarah to sit down and say, okay, we got to figure something out here? The uh, traction. Uh, got to give a ton of props to the whole traction process. Um, Gina Wickman's work is incredible. And, and we, um, Sarah, Sarah saw it. She had the, so I was the general manager. And the company was growing really fast and big, and it was terribly disorganized. And like we, our, our CRM is called Service Titan that we currently use. And I, I'm not into. I'm not, I'm a real visionary um, marketing kind of a guy. I'm not detailed operator. That's not where I'm passionate or good. I still to this day. Can I just look at the dashboard on Titan? I don't want to know how to use it. Don't care not of interest to me. And so she was, it was just a ton of conflict because she's trying to launch this product and a general manager doesn't even really care about it. And then we had really bad structure. We were sharing roles all over the place and people were reporting to both of us and it was just a mess. And so she had two initiatives that she was super passionate about. One was getting uh, our, our CRM fully implemented. And then secondly was to, um, Get us get a reporting structure in place, and she'd read traction, got really excited about it. She kind of drugged me into that one, and we got a traction facilitator and really rocked our worlds. And that's just we got a major education on just healthy structure and roles and accountabilities around those roles. You know, this is a really important topic because even outside of the spouse relationship, which, as you mentioned, when you're a small business, you're gonna mix these roles together. But even if you're not working with your spouse and you have a partner or you have employees. I mean, there still has to be a clear distinction of roles, responsibilities, who they're accountable to, what their scope of work is, because for anyone to be successful, they really need to understand really what their work box is, what they, you know, what they need to be doing. hundred percent. Everybody, everybody from the delivery driver to the, uh, the, the general manager, everybody needs to know what success looks like. And then, and then the best part is, is when you get this right, um, we, we, all this is public information. The, the whole leadership no, team knows if somebody's delivering or not. And it's not, nobody gets a spanking or a public beat down or like, why, why are your numbers off? It's a, it's a team of collaboration and help. It's like, huh, seems like you're struggling for the last three or four days. What's going on with your team? And 
what have you tried? You know, and those are, those are the way the conversations go because we want everybody to be successful. Um, and see, so it's super transparent culture that we've created uh, with very public scorecards. Um, nobody's competing with each other. We're just, you know, and I'll zoom back off of that just a little bit too. Our, I don't build the budget or set the goals for our teams. We do that at a retreat and I facilitate and they build their own goals. And so when their numbers are off, it's they're not missing my numbers, they're missing their own numbers. And so I'm, I'm there to support them hitting their targets. Um, so it's completely different mindset as you go into really, really moving your team fast and getting your managers engaged. Let them own it. Get out of their way. So explain, I mean, the retreats been interesting to me. I've, I've heard other companies do, you know, wellness week, they've done retreats. Um, for, for the retreat, what does that entail? How far do you go? You know, what's the whole context of, of that part of your organization? The number one objective is, um, is building the budget for the upcoming year. So we're, we're going to do ours in the second week of November this year. And we typically, we're, we've got a problem because we've acquired a couple companies now and we've got too many leaders we want to be involved in. We can't find a mansion that will rent to us is with the size of group we have. And I dread to go to a hotel, but I, we don't have a choice this year. we got to find a better place to go. But up till now, we've always rented a really rocking mansion. And you can get them for $1,500 a night for a couple nights. And you can sleep most of your team in there. And you can get them, you know, the rest of the team in some room somewhere. Um, and you just work together. And you, you dig back on, on what all your key KPIs are, what your what's your inbound calls, what's your close rates, average tickets, how many how many days do your guys work, how many, you know, just all the data that you can find and then make your best guesses for every single month for the next year as to uh, where, where you're going with this thing. And then we, you know, the data gets better every year because every time you try to build a budget, you realize like, man, I don't, I don't we're tracking that information, so I'm guessing. And so we leave really committed to capturing the reality of the metrics that we need for budgeting the next year. So every year we get more and more refined as we do it. It's interesting. I mean, the success of any business, right, is the accountability side. And really this is what you've been alluding to, Brad, is, you know, I look back at our structure and, you know, being a new company and, and you know, especially in construction, you know, I look at it from the general contractor role. I know it's different when you're the, the trade partners you are, Brad, but from my side, as a management side, there was a lot of overlap, right? And that's what it gets to, that, multiplication, you know, of, of people doing the same job overlapping. And so then there's this resistance, this inconsistency as a company. And when I noticed our controller came in, her name's McCall. And she said, Brad, we got to figure out our org chart. As you mentioned, we got to figure out what is the role? Like when a project comes in, how does it go through the channel all the way? As you mentioned from that first call, like CRM from that first lead till we're completed, what is the transition? How's this going? As we laid it out, put on a spreadsheet, we have it. Everyone understands their role. And once that's clearly defined, it's amazing how people can be accountable, you know, by just having that information in front of them. It's incredible. There's so much work to be done there. And it doesn't matter where your business at. There's always more you could do. And and if you, um, it's just, those are a couple, you dropped a couple of really great comments there. And one was just kind of the the flow, the, the life of a call. Super mm-hmm. interesting. And, and I'll tell you what's um, everybody's, here's, the, here's no big secret. Everybody's biggest limiting factor is uh, hiring people, right? Right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement here that'll make people millions and millions of dollars if they'll listen to it. Well, we better listen. You have 250 employees. You're doing something right. <laughs> if if tr- follow the chain of an applicant that comes to your company and see how and many steps- And what do you mean by that? They, well, uh, say you've got a recruiting ad out, and and it's for me, it's plumbers, you know, or HVAC techs or whatever. We we just I was at a, a Tony Robbins event, and he calls it the value chain, um, and he's just like, just like, what's the most important thing in your business? And I was like, recruiting, <laughs> getting customers is so easy. <laughs> recruiting is the challenge, and so. Um, and so I did this work on this. He's like, so what happens with this, uh, the minute you get that contact, like what's the flow, like from marketing all the way to hiring. And I realized this, there was probably like 13 handoffs that occurred at various levels. Emails were sent and just different steps. And it's like, 
you know, if a plumber calls, I should just probably go straight to the manager. <laughs> like, why? Let's just throw all that away and let's get him right to the person he needs to talk to now. It, because I, it, we're losing them in that journey because they're, they can get a job anywhere. So whoever's really quick. But we, we talk to techs all the time that, uh, you know, they didn't get a call back for days. Days. You know, one, one, one plumber is, is around a half a million dollars a year revenue to our company. Um, so why wouldn't that be the most important phone call you have? Um, so anyway, just food for thought, but that was rock. So if I understand this is interesting because what you're saying is Brad, so as people were applying to work for you and your firm, there was just a lot of, I don't want to say red tape, but there were a lot of transactions happening where it just took a lot of time to get to the right person to actually make the hire. Yeah, dumb, super dumb, right? But it's like everybody's everybody's doing their process and all seems smart in the moment, but it's like really what we need to get this guy right in front of the mo- you know, the person's making a decision instantly if possible. Yeah, because if they're in the right person, you can say and you you have a need, you need to fill that need right away. They can quantify it, they can qualify and they can go through the resume and say, you know, however your hiring procedure is, it can differ for everybody, but they could go through that channel and then uh, you know, essentially start. Yeah. So then from that side, I mean, you know, and this is important, I think, from the the sell side that you and I were talking about, and, and the same thing should be done for all of us is we have to understand when that when that lead comes in, right? It may be for you a cold call, you know, my business could be from architect designer, a cold call as well. You know, how, what's that journey? What is that timeline? What does it take from that call to permit to completion? What does it call for you from the point of service to diagnostic to service complete? I mean, Whatever it is, I mean, you have to really understand that. How how have you worked to understand that and make part of your company successful? The um, the, the scorecards uh, tell the tale, right? It's so if um, if we've got a goal and we're not hitting a goal, um, something's something down the line is broken. Or you know, and it could be the technician did a uh, he didn't have. The team of technicians didn't have good close rates. That could trickle down to one or two guys just not doing well. Uh, could be the average tickets are off, and they need some more training on on how to how to build their uh, option sheets. And then go back to the CSR team, the people that answered the phones. Like, are they are they getting the right amount of calls? Uh, and then are there is their booking percentage high? Um, is the dispatch team dispatching intelligently? Did they are they are they putting the right people on jobs that they can be successful on? I mean, there's so many places to dig. And we have a daily huddle on a spreadsheet. Uh, it's on uh, Google Drive, so you know it's virtual. Um, I am, I'm rarely in the office anymore, but I attend all my meetings virtually. And um, this is a whole year's worth of data, and it's over 300 lines of KPIs from the previous day. We look at it every single day at 10 a.m., and everybody knows exactly where they're at, exactly where they're at every day. It's interesting because you mentioned this. I actually made a note of this. You talked about the scorecard earlier. So is the scorecard based off of the retreat? So you go to the retreat, you create the goals for the next year, and then essentially you create that scorecard, and now this is what you're tracking? Yeah. The one for the management team is. Um, and so we build the, the yearly budget, which is broken into months, and then we take that same budget and divide it by the number of days in the month, and that's what goes into that daily huddle. So it's the same numbers every single time. And the, But the, it, the scorecards go beyond this. That's just a, the manager's uh specific one, like the technicians will have their own individual scorecard. Literally the delivery drivers have a scorecard, their times, um, how many deliveries they get done in a day. What was their average time at the supply house, things of that nature. So I, I, we think every individual deserves to know if he's succeeding or not. It's interesting. So, and, and this is really important, you know, every, I, I've spoken about this so many times on the podcast, but this is really what employees need to have to feel successful, right? They need to believe in what they're doing. They need to have like, a, you know, believe in the product. They need to believe in the company, believe in the culture. You know, all those things kind of play together. And number two is, as we've talked about, they need to understand the role. They need to understand how they're accountable. They need to understand, right, what what what, what they should be doing every day. And so for you, you know, understand the scorecard's valuable from the manager side. How, with, with 250 employees, how are you delegating where each employee, each each mechanic or each mechanical you know, tech, each plumber is getting that feedback, understanding mm-hmm. how they're tracking individually. Yep. Well, it's, it just grew to scale, you know, so we believe in about a 10 to one ratio of manager uh, to employee. 
And so we really, we, we're, we're monitoring that all the time. And the guys, you know, it, there's always kind of pinch points as you're growing where we'll have a manager that's got like 14. And that's, we're starting to see some redlining occurring at 14. That's just too many people to really keep contact with. And I can't express to you how important it is for these employees to have, feel like they've got a relationship with their manager. And so we, everybody gets a one-on-one in the entire company. They get an hour of the manager's time. So if you've got 14 employees, that's 14 hours of your week are already spoken for uh, through one-on-ones, you know. So you just think about all the other duties they have. Um, but that hour is the employee's time to, um, we, we do look at their scorecard and then it's really, the floor is there. How can I support you? That's that's the conversation. And and that's, uh, we found that to be huge for retention. Uh, people get a chance to be heard and uh, feel connected to, What's going on? I mean, it's, when we start seeing people drop off, um, the, the number one uh, complaint is that they just don't feel like they were being heard. Now, we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. That is why most people leave, right? They feel like a training. They feel like they weren't heard. They, you know, that satisfaction and feedback, right, was not there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us get so busy in our tasks, right? I mean, it's something that we let go and we don't really... Yeah. focus on. We're focusing in like you, Brad, or myself. I mean, you have so many other responsibilities that it's hard to give the time that maybe they need unless you have your structure set up correctly. Yeah. So, you know, going back to the to the spouse side for you and your spouse, I mean, right now you're at 250 employees and we understand the role. I mean, how how early on, or I should say this, how big was your company when your wife really got involved? So... Yeah, I can help with that. I don't have dates, but um, so yeah, dates don't matter. I'm just curious on like yeah, size and structure wise. I'm thinking we were doing probably maybe at four hundred thousand a year, five hundred thousand a year. It was all new construction, and I'd hired five or six employees. Just bear in mind, I just said earlier that one plumber can bring in half a million a year, and I had five <laughs> or six. Right, you see, right, there's a little problem there. Yeah, <laughs> cash flow becomes a challenge at that point. Oh, that's what she kept telling me. I didn't know because I wasn't in the books. I didn't know anything about them. So she yeah, just you're thinking I'm going, hiring, I'm winning these jobs, everything's great. Yeah, you have no idea. Oh, so money's coming in. Yeah, where <laughs> does it go? And so she uh, she was just comp- like freaking out. She was like, "Dude, this doesn't work." And she's an RN. She's got a career as a labor and delivery nurse, and she's doing my stuff on the side. And, and you got now employees and payroll and all this malarkey that goes with that. I mean, it got kind of complex real quick. And um, I asked her one day, I said, you know, what if you just jumped on board full time when we took this seriously? Like, I I feel like our careers are really conflicting and they were because she had crazy hours and I was getting more and more responsibilities. And, and we had three kids at the time. So it was just a zoo. And she thought about it. She's like, you know, I'm kind of done with the hospital thing. It's kind of a soulless machine anyway. So I'd love to build something that was mine. That sounds amazing. And so she's the smart one. She uh, she immediately got on the internet, found Service Roundtable and amazing coaches there, giving away free information. And she just kept every night I'd come home and she'd tell me all this stuff. 
and um, she eventually went to a better practices group called Nexstar, had an event in Buffalo, New York. That's where I'm at today. I was actually speaking at their event. Oh, amazing. Uh, earlier. Yeah, really, really kind of fun. That's cool. Circle, kind of circle. Thing. Yeah, full circle. Yeah. That now you're speaking. So she's, she goes as a guest as a total stranger and um, sees a shop's $8 million a year in revenue, shiny trucks and material bins and warehouse. Everything's immaculate. And she's talking about there's this, you know, every net profit. There's this thing called net profit. It's like money left over after you've paid everybody. And like this leftover money seems crazy. Um, that's how backwards I was, I swear. I mean, like I had no clue. I was a great craftsman and I could inspire the team to do amazing stuff, but I just didn't have a clue. And well, so, it's not like, um, and, and real quick, if I interrupt you, I mean, the reality is to that, Brad, is that it's not like there's education on this. I mean, we have to figure it out like hard knocks and it's, you know, that's one of the issues without going down this rabbit hole of the education system. It's not like we spend time talking about how to run a business. You know, that's the biggest complaint. You go to design school, architecture school, trade school, whatever. It's not like they teach you, hey, Brad, here's how you run your business. Here's how, you know, to effectively manage cash flow. I mean, we just have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she jumped in both feet, got all that education. But b- before we get there, this is really important. Is she was, I was super intimidated by these stories. Like I... And I told her I was like really bothered, and she was like, "You don't want to do this." And I was like, "Oh, I think I seem smart, but I'm uncomfortable." And it took me days, and I finally came to her and I said, "You know, here's the truth. To be honest, I see your vision, and I don't see where I fit in it. I don't, I don't see how I can do any of that. That's my problem." And it was just kind of, I kind of realized how little belief I had in myself to, or even knew if I had the desire to learn all that stuff, but it just seemed so out of my grasp. And so she just ran with the torch. And um, I finally, you know, slowly woke up. And then one day I I decided I was enough for this and hit the afterburners and never looked back. <laughs> it's an amazing story. And, and I think most of us listening can relate, especially life as an entrepreneur, right? I mean, there's so many hats you have to wear. And at times it can be, become very discouraging. And then when you think about what I should be doing, where my company should be, why am I not there? And I've been working at this a long time and it becomes overwhelming. And it's like, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? It's hard to really, but mentally it's hard to get yourself there. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's the belief, our, our belief in ourself is, um, I, I think we all limit ourselves uh, to, and still are to some degrees. I still find myself walking into rooms pretty nervous of asking myself if I belong there. And my new, <laughs> My new thing is, is I belong everywhere and I just keep stepping into rooms that I don't feel comfortable in just to force myself to belong. Well, I think there's a lot of confidence there just to have that mentality. I belong everywhere. So I, so I think this is interesting because now understanding a little bit of the dynamic there as you're growing, you know, a small company trying to figure it out, the revenue as opposed to how many employees you have, as opposed to the roles. And then your wife's coming in and saying, okay, we need to fix the structure. So from that point, all of us have different talents, right? There's different successes, talents, things that we enjoy doing. So did you find it easy at that point now to say, okay, your wife, Sarah, right? So mm-hmm. for you and Sarah to say, okay, you focus on this, I'll focus on this. I mean, how easy was that transition to now separate you know, church and state essentially? It's horrible. Uh, <laughs> super hard. So the... Uh, well, for, for first off, um, step one is is she felt like I needed to let go of being the general manager and get a little ego tied up with that. Right, yeah. And, and and so her and the traction coach kind of colluded and were convincing me that if you get an attraction, there's, you, there's a visionary and the visionary has the vision. <laughs> <laughs> but the integrator, who is the general manager, does everything and it's like, so I'm like, I'm kind of like this, this kind of Oz mystic character that uh, kind of sees the future and does marketing. And, and I was overseeing sales as well, but um, it was still, it hurt. I didn't want to give that up. And, but then, and I, 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 we had this conversation over and over again. One day I say, I think what you're trying to tell me is you're going to, you can do a better job than I can at this. And she's like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And that's like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so I leaned into the discomfort and it hurt. And I, you know what, you do it, just run with it. And I kind of, kind of made myself to help salve my wounds on that. I was like, you know, this is a life experience she needs. She wants to run with this torch and own that. She's worked so hard with all the coaching She's gotten all, I mean, she's really, she's a monster. She'd done so much work to become so powerful. And I was 
And she feels like I'm in her way of being successful. And that's not really fair. Why shouldn't she get a run at this? And so I just like, you know what? I'm going to, I, I'm going to just let her have it, you know? And so she ran it for years and, and we worked together and I was way more involved with the kids. I got way more, I got really good at cooking. <laughs> so she was actually working as general manager then. I mean, she was I'm running like, it. I'm literally let her have that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really it's cool. She wanted it and she did great. And it was. So how did that change your role though at the time with the company? Again, I'm the visionary, so I still had a strong say in what was going on, and they still used me a lot for, you know, kind of my, I've got this wild creative side that's useful for a lot of different things, and so I was I was a tool that was used, it, but and then like marketing, that's, that's totally my mastery, and then I'm deeply involved with the sales team and ramping up what their activities were, so I, I was very, very busy, but just not, um, but again, she's implementing the CRM. She's getting the traction process all set up and getting the meeting structure right and building out those scorecards and building uh, all of it, all, you know, just getting the structure in. That's what she's so good at. And so um, at one day, um, just time had gone on and she was um, just feeling, I think, unsatisfied and, and not really enjoying it that much. And I, there were some personalities that we had in the business that just needed some corralling, I would say. Um, and, and one day I just got really passionate and I was just like, I need to take the reins. I need to be the one. I'm the one for now. <laughs> this company needs me to take it to where it needs to go now. And she literally cheered on the other end of the phone and I cried. <laughs> I'm driving down the road. And it was like this amazing moment where we just like had this amazing emotional moment where we just knew it was time for another another era, and and she was so excited to see me step up because she just she just was tired and, and wanted the help, and she she did so good and carried it for so long. But it was just like again, it was just a new it was a new era, and it's time for a new leader. Well, do you feel that helped not only the company but your relationship and just the structure? And the reason I say that, I mean, you think I, I look at some of these large corporations like GE, General Electric, right, and other companies where what they do is when they bring in an employee, you know, they'll put them in different parts of the organization, you know, six months here, six months here. So they really learn what they're good at, what they're successful at. And then, and then by having an understanding, and I liken it this way, if you've been a superintendent or you've been a coordinator, you've been in accounting, I mean, you understand these different roles and responsibilities. And now you understand how they, they work together. Do you feel that helped now her running the organizational role? You had done it before that now, Hey, there's a lot of synergy now between us. I think so. I think so. I think people can get hung up on that too. Um, I, has just our business scales fast. I mean, we're moving really fast. Like we're adding in, we're going from thirty-four to over fifty million dollars in revenue in the Austin location alone. So I mean, it's like an wow. insane. Yeah, it's it's wild. And so, what you knew as a service manager, which involved a lot of technical stuff, um, one it's that still matters in that role, right? But then there's a department director who doesn't need to know all the things that the manager needs to know. And then there's a COO now um, who doesn't need to know all the minutiae that the service man, you know what I mean? So it's like, there's these, these new skills of leadership. And so your ability to, um, these higher level roles um, are, are very um, tactical and very, um, very good with dealing with people and solving problems. Like, I, I don't know, I, we have a huge air conditioning department. I don't know anything. I'm not an air conditioning. I couldn't fix your AC, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, but I could sure, we sure do some business around it. And I've got the guys that can do that. So, um, but I think people do get hung up, you know, the craftsman side of us is really committed to the, those knowledges. And then when you start getting into the tens of millions of dollars of business, all of a sudden those skills, they, they, they stay down here and then new skills are required and it's a never ending growth process. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. And I know that is a clear distinction of, of the direction I was going because the reality is as you grow and as you're mentioned, as, you, as this happens, Brad, um, to, for you to really be successful as a company, even at your size, I mean, you have to have people that are highly skilled, highly motivated, highly educated, right, in their field and craft. Uh, you can't know everything. I mean, you can't. You just can't be successful. You can't control every task. And you have to be able to delegate and make them accountable and empower them to be able to be successful at what they're doing. Yeah. Going from the mom and pop, it's so scary. Because, again, your name's in every single work chart box. 
and and you got to give that away and they may mess up and fail even some and you've got to nurse them through that or or make sure you got the right person and 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 yeah it's it's uh it's hard and and your livelihood depends on it the smaller you are the scarier it is yeah it's interesting just this week we have a new project we're doing and the designer caitlin wolf came in from iconic and she was telling me um you know we're we're speaking about the success of her company and organization and almost to what you're alluding to brad and she had said you know, we're at a point now, there's eight of them at her company, and she also does a little bit general contractor work, which is pretty neat. But she said, we're at a point now where my team, you know, they're taking care of issues and items and protocol and all this stuff. And I'm not even on the email. So I figured out they resolved it. I'm like, wow. I mean, she's like, it's just this enlightening where you see them really do this as if she would have done it herself. 100%. Like that's the IT side of my business and warehouse. I don't I want to know. <laughs> I just want it all to work and be better. <laughs> Please don't tell me the details. So in addition to, you know, getting back to working with your spouse to find success there, you know, I, I understand, you know, you, you we've spent some time about the organizational chart, understanding your role, understanding how that's delegated. What are other things that spouses mm-hmm. can do? And maybe taking you down this road, the hardest thing is when... I look at it with employees. Hey, you're at lunch together. You're talking about work. You know, you're hanging out after work at a baseball game or a golf outing. You're talking about work. So how how do you create that separation where you can have some personal time outside the business? Um, I I've wrote exactly zero pages in the book on that. I don't I don't <laughs> know. Um, I, I'm I'm not the guy. Have to you talk find to any? That. Have you found any way to do that with you and your wife to separate that? At no, all? we. We don't want to. I, I we don't find ourselves even trying. We love, 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 love our work. Um, we enjoy it. It's fun for us, and we have some kids involved, and I, I, we just this is our hobby too. Um, and so we, and, and again, like I see, I do it separately. Have the six o'clock rule or whatever you want. I don't care. I don't, I'm not. The, my book doesn't have anything on that. And I personally, I I think everybody make their own call on how they want that to be. I will say. Um, you know, for, and, and we started our business in 95 with me and a shovel and uh, we'll be over $50 million a year in revenue this year. We just got purchased by a PE firm and we're doing acquisitions all over the U.S. right now. We've got, um, I mean, it's like, so... It's really grown. It, yeah, and, and that came at a heavy price of work. I mean, it's like, you're, you're, you're going to throttle, you're not going to get these results Um working 40 hours a week. That's not real. Um, literally just, just forget that. Um, we, we worked, we both <laughs> work 60 plus hours a week, every week, talk about it all night, talk about it on the weekends. Our vacations are kind of connected to work half the time. I mean, we're in Florida Marco Island right now at the, an event I'm speaking at and doing some work with the, uh, the team on and, um, our kids are here, you know, and you guys want to go to Florida? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so you make the most of it. And, and what I like about that, I mean, one thing, one, one thing I'll say that we've done, my wife and I, is we, you know, we've, you become more understanding, I, I should say, in some ways, where with her design business, my contracting business, we understand, you know, the client needs, the client perspective. And so there's times where maybe in the evening or the weekend or family vacation, and I may be like, I have this call, or this Zoom call or this meeting, I got to take care of this issue with this client. And it's really, okay, I got the kids, I got this, you go do it. And I'm the same way where, you know, she may have something in the evening or on the weekend where it's our alone time, but I get, I'm like, let me take the kids. Don't worry, go focus on that. So, so really there's a clear, Hey, I have your back. I support you. And then that helps as well. hundred percent. Yeah. That's so cool. And then from your side, it's fun when you could take the kids with you. You're speaking, Hey, we're going to Marco Island and that's not a bad place to take the family either, you know, to make it part of a little work play. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. And I think, um, giving your, uh, giving your, your spouse some grace and just really knowing where their boundaries are. Like, um, I, what I find is, so Sarah likes to just pop in and say, let me tell you about this. And, and like, I'm, I'm like, I'm locked on solving something right now, you know? And it's just kind of like, this is kind of my move. I do this real slow kind of stern turn and I'm just like, okay. And then she'll, she's awesome because she'll be like, is now a good time? It's like, can we do it a little later? (laughs) 
because it's just like you know that can be so disruptive when you're trying to really put something big together um you know and just giving just really understanding each other and giving each other some grace to what they're dealing with in that moment you know it's just like maybe maybe they don't maybe this could be a tomorrow thing and so here's a really cool tool it's the coolest we use um so when we do traction it's a process of um this problem solving and a meeting structure and we use this um, service called Basecamp and it's it we've got in a, a a list basically it's a shared file drive that where we can go in and we put issues ideas and opportunities in there so if there's an issue um, I don't have to tell Sarah or she didn't have to tell me she can just drop it in the issues list and we have a weekly meeting every single week uh, with the leadership team and we go through every single one of those issues every week and so you have this like panic ah i don't want to forget this at 10 o'clock at night you don't have to tell them that you can go pop it into the uh the drive and it'll be handled at an appropriate time you get it out of your head and you didn't impose it upon your spouse which is totally awesome so we use that tool a lot Basecamp's a great program. We've used that with marketing firms and some other firms i've worked with and it's a great thing especially as there's multiple people involved you can delegate responsibilities. And as you mentioned, if you have something out there that you need to address or have some closure on, you can put it out there for, for when the other user is ready to address it. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And, and we just are very disciplined about the meeting pace. Every week it gets handled and we go through every issue every week and no balls are dropped. So it's a, it's a great place to park something that's bothering you. And, and I can relate to, it's funny, you know, for me, I, I have to be clear. I think what's really important for us as well is to set the expectation with our spouse or coworker, whatever it may be, on on how what breeds success for us. And what I mean by that is, I, I look at it for me where I, I'm kind of an outcome guy in the sense that when there's an issue, I just want to solve. And and maybe part of that's the mail of me. But for example, like if there's, um, I don't want to say litigation, but maybe there's something outlined, a big problem, a crisis. Maybe there's a cost. Maybe there's something I'm going to have to eat because of a mistake. I mean, for me, it's like I just want to know. Okay, is this going to cost me six thousand dollars? And then I can get over to move on, right? It's it's the unknown saying, okay, is this going to cost me twenty thousand, six thousand, two thousand? I mean, and and my yeah. wife knows that about me that it's like, okay, if I can, if if Brad can put closure on this and at least just know what the outcome will be, then he can move past it and he's gone. He's off to the next one, right? Yeah. And and I think that's important too. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It is. Instead, yeah, coming with some solutions or ideas is super helpful too. So I, here, I think I've I think I've quoted Tony Robbins three times. This will be the third time tonight. But I, I'm a fan. Um, learned some good stuff from this guy. But um, he said this amazing thing once. He said, "You know, we've really got to figure it out with business about you know whatever it takes to deliver the absolute, this spectacular customer service. I mean, we'll do whatever the customer needs. We're going to create this extraordinary experience for a customer." He said, "Imagine what your relationship would be like." If you approach your relationship like that, I'm going to provide an extraordinary service to my spouse. Like how would, holy crap, right? Like what would, what would that be like? What would the response be like if you really were that focused on, we focus so well on delivering that excellence uh, in our, but you know, these, these comments we're making are, are, you know, kind of, you know, little, little glimmers of that. It's like, how do I make, this experience great for my spouse um, and, 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 and not just, just throwing stuff at them to absorb. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I love that you share that because it really, you know, as you're saying that I'm thinking to myself, hey, th- there's a lot of work I have to do there. Right. Cause I right. think about that customer service experience that we're giving our customer and the attention to detail and the kindness, whatever it may be, you know, the patience, are we reciprocating that in our own personal life with my team, with my members, you know, at home? And, you know, that that's, you know, it's powerful food for thought for sure. It is huge. I really rocked my world. It's like, oof, I got some room to grow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so let me ask you this. I mean, how do you deal with the failure side? I mean, the reality is, and, and this is a two-part question, how do you do a failure personally? Because that happens to all of us. And then, or, you know, with your business, how do you deal with it together too when it now impacts both you and your spouse as you're working together? You know, Grace, man. I, I think so. Here's one of the things that I think is super interesting. Um, I've, I've addressed in the book. I've never heard anybody really have this conversation before. But I think if you're if you're in it, if you're in it for your spouse, if you're if you're, you're like, I really care about Sarah, and I want so I want Sarah to have 
the ultimate life experience. I really want that for her. So like when she needed to be the general manager, that was kind of the conversation I was having in my mind. It's like, what do I, I mean, yeah, this is uncomfortable, but I want her to have the life that she can look back and say, I did everything I wanted to do and I don't have any regrets, whatever that is. And so if, if like, it'd probably be the same for a son or a daughter too, right? Like if I had a, a, a son that was like, man, I want to be the marketing guy, dad, you know, I would probably have a very similar feeling on this. And it's like, okay, let me, let me help you, mentor you, coach you and, and get you where you need to be. But in the end, you got to let somebody run with the ball and, and, and they're going to have different ideas. And sometimes those just have to be tested out. Um, Sarah and I had a huge disagreement on, uh, you know, like in, in our service industry, a lot of people have memberships, um, service agreements or... Yeah, monthly agreements, them. maintenance agreements. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I w- our company's weird because our marketing works way too good. We have too many demand customers. But the industry told us we needed these memberships. And I was like, this is, this is dumb. We don't, we don't need these memberships. I hate these memberships. And so, but she was, she's the good student who listens to all of her coaches. And I'm, I'm the visionary revolutionary guy that kind of is like, screw the system. You know, that's a little bit more my style. <laughs> and so I, I, I really went, I, I just wrote it. I literally wrote a manifesto and it's like why I hate service agreements. It's like a, a four page article. I was going to send to a magazine. I realized I didn't want to get murdered uh, at one of these events, but um, <laughs> the, um, the I finally she said I get it your point and I think we shouldn't do it though I think you're wrong and and I was like can you just let me run with this and trust me and she said yes she I after some long discussion very polite but she you could just see though she was so torn because she's so committed to these wise mentors that got us here all told her that this is how you do it and and all my stuff made sense, but it was just so hard for her to trust me, even when my logical breakdown. <laughs> but she was like, same deal. She was like, you've got to do this. Obviously, you've got to do this. So do it. You know, and it was like, I can't tell you what that felt like in my heart to let my, to see my wife give something like that and trust. And it's her livelihood. It's her business, too. And all this work that she's done, she's going to trust me to run with this really revolutionary idea totally worked by the way it was the best move ever <laughs> so I, I didn't fail on that one thank god but um but it's scary you know because you're you're it matters all these things really matter and when you're going to do something really bold and your spouse isn't for sure on board man you really you really go for it you know but and you are going to fail and that's part of it but i think if you really love each other you're going to pick each other up and learn from it and keep going forward you know i think that's all you can do do you feel it's different the conversation you have as you're dealing with failures or setbacks with your spouse? Is it different to how you communicate that maybe with your employees or your managers? I don't think so. We're we're just really I, I everybody that works for us is um if if you don't feel like family, you probably don't belong here because we just have this really I, we are all on the same mission to get the same objectives done and we collaborate we share ideas, we disagree sometimes, we find a resolution, and then we get stuff done. And it's like, we don't, the, the relationships are pretty similar in my company. So I don't, I don't know for other people, but for us, it's very similar. So how have you found success building that company culture? The reason I, I know I saw a video and I think they're like playing dodgeball there in your lobby or something, but mm. you know, how, how do you find this like collaboration where there is a lot of fun, but there's a lot of work hard, play hard mentality? Um, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to create it as a leader. It's your job as a leader to create it. And, and to, um, I think vulnerability is an absolute superpower. If I, if I'm hiding stuff and putting up a front to my employees and I I have like this, um, this identity that I let them see and uh, like we're transparent. And, and we're very clear, like the goals are clear, the money's clear, everybody knows what's going on within the business, there's no secrets. Um, and and I, I just lead with vulnerability. It's like, this is, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm struggling with, this is the thing I'm working on, these are the problems in our business that we'd like to solve, and let's, let's solve them together, you know? And everybody, like for the common good here, let's, 
let's let's make this place better. And if, and if we do, there's promotions for people, there's more money for people, and we can all get something amazing out of this ride, you know. But if we don't grow, if we don't expand, then we stagnate and your job's your job forever. And then you have to quit to go get a promotion. You can't get one here. And that's just like, that's not what, that's not what we're about. So everybody's really bought into that idea and leadership. And so they're equally passionate too, because they see their future growing. And uh, yeah, but it, it really starts with me um, really, really creating this warm, friendly culture and just being warm and friendly myself. I got, you got to be it. <laughs> and then it reflects back at you. So essentially, I mean, if, if, that warm, friendly, being approachable. I mean, just having, you know, that clear vision, as you mentioned, having that clear vision where people know, hey, this is what I could do financially. This is what I can do career-wise. I mean, and so the opportunities laid out for them clearly where just that in itself is going to help create that culture along with some of, you know, some of the other fun things that you may do. Yeah. Yeah. The fun things are nice, but I, you know, it's like, I think people think culture is getting a ping pong table and uh, (laughs) I have a ping pong table and it's fun. You know, we don't use it very often, but really, the, the culture is, um, the, the, what, the, what is the collective body really like, you know? And, and here's where culture gets so corrupted in our business is we get excited about our goals. And this is a real dichotomy because I want to grow really fast, right? And I, we, we all get excited about that. But then the minute um, hitting $50 million becomes the most important thing, I'm going to start hiring people that don't belong, which instantaneously corrupts your culture. Like, and, and your existing employees know you're compromising because these people don't belong here. They're not radiant material. And that can't happen. You have to be committed to the right individual every time. And it's like, so if I interview 10, you don't hire the best of the 10. <laughs> You hire the right person and if you <laughs> interview another 10 you can find the right person but i see that mistake more often than any other probably is people just like they gotta hit the and there's points in your career where you, you might have to to survive you might have to tolerate and employ that but i would i would challenge you to be super brave and let that person go because you're going to lose the good ones because you're keeping the bad one and that's even worse you know, I think that's probably some of the sharpest advice, not that you haven't been giving out nuggets this entire conversation, Brad, but the reality is every successful CEO that I've ever spoken with in my entire career, it's been the same thing. Like, you know, that culture, when you, it, it, it's not about hiring the people that are most experienced. It's about hiring the right people, right? Because that mm-hmm. bad person, they may be really talented, but they can be a cancer to the entire company and you can just be torn down from within by not having the right people on the ship. Yeah, it's, it's insidious. It really is. And then, yeah, they'll, you've got the invisible leaders that are leading in the background. The shadow leadership, you, right? Undermining uh-huh. every, yeah, it's yeah. awful. It's awful. Yeah. You've got to get those guys out as fast as you can. Well, I want to be sensitive to your time, but I mean, there's a few things you brought up in the book. And, and you know, you, you had talked about as well, you know, just from the, the working with your spouse, you talked about how you align your visions, knowing your role and, and you know, the, the, difference between the business and your relationship, which I think is really valuable. But another point was you talked about the business owner's mindset, you know, from craftsman to entrepreneurship to legacy seeker. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I've just, I've not seen a lot of work on this concept. And I just, my, my goal with the book is just try to, the, our unconscious minds drive so much of our activities. Uh, unconsciously we're making decisions and doing things. So starting with the visioning exercise, like getting from unconscious, what I'm trying to build to conscious and communicated clearly. So we both know where we're going. This is the enormous starting point. So then I just wanted to kind of expose these concepts to some couples that might have really different mindsets. Because if, if you're a craftsman and you're, you're, you're passionate about the art and the way it's done. And, and my dad's a craftsman and, I have a lot of craftsmen in me, uh, and I get it. Um, and 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 that's good. That's that's all really good. But an entrepreneur is something. It's a very different animal. And this person is like a, a serial business starter, and they just have ideas and they want to get something going. They don't really want to stay there very long. They just want to. They want to do something big and then get away from it and go do something else big. You know. And there's a lot of conflict that's going to occur with these different mindsets. If, if, but, but it also can be an incredible collaboration if, if you get the, the entrepreneurial mindset with the, um, 
the craftsman, but you, knowing that we're going to be, you know, having some friction because we see the world differently. So, so the goal is just to try to shed some light on that to help couples understand where the other one's coming from so we're communicating a little more, more clearly. And the last one's the, the legacy seeker is just, uh, uh, I, I just know, have some of these around me and it's just interesting because they make decisions um, on such a different wavelength because they're thinking about what their kids are going to do and grandkids. And it's like, I don't think that way at all. Like I, my kids are on their own. I'm all, I was on my own. I mean, I would just, you just go do your life and I, I'm going to want you to have your best ultimate life experience, whatever that adventure is for you. You know, I'm not going to build a job for you though. That's, yeah. I don't, I don't feel like that's my duty, but that, as some people really carry that burden and they, they can't perceive the world any other way that this is my, my obligation is to create something for my kids. It's like, okay, that's, you need to know that. <laughs> so it's interesting. So it's understanding that definition, right? Of what that means to you, you know, that legacy, whether it's, you know, individual family, whether it's others, and then how do you incorporate that into the structure of the company? Yeah. And just so you understand each other and you really, really try it. And there's nothing wrong with any one of those ways of thinking. You want to be supportive of, you know, whatever this person's drive is. Um, and make sure that you're getting what you need out of it and they're getting what they need out of it, but you're going to build something. Everybody's going to build something different for different reasons. So in, in closing here, I mean, you've already shared some amazing advice you've been given, especially some of the, the, you know, quotes by Tony Robbins, but you know, what advice would you give to someone starting a company? What advice would you give yourself, you know, looking back as you and Sarah are, you know, are starting that journey from the beginning? I think that the most important thing uh, first, you should buy the book. I think it'll help you. It's like super cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, and get coaching together. I think that's the most, there's somebody has solved it in your industry. There's some mentor, there's some group out there and they're pro they might even charge you some money and you should fork it over because it'll be the cheapest thing you ever invested in. I've never invested in coaching where I was like disappointed. I've, always gotten multiples back on every single thing we've ever done and and uh often the more we spend the better it is so i uh, yeah get get any kind of coaching you can get there's this is a short ride you've got a few years to get stuff done and you're just wasting time if you're not leaning into coaching well what what's interesting is that mentorship the coaching side right that everyone needs and you mentioned this in earlier in the episode that if your team doesn't have scorecards, if they don't have accountability, right, they're not going to progress as individuals in the company. And who's going to make us accountable other than a coach or someone that can be at this level that's going to really mentor us and help us in our field? Uh, I just think that's super valuable, Brad. And so, you know, what do you have that's upcoming and exciting now? You, you alluded to a little bit, I mean, especially with the private equity firm, you know, as you're expanding. I mean, what does that look like and what, what excites you now for the future? Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. So, um, I, going all the way back, I've, I really learned early, I needed to not be the limitation to our company's growth. And so I had to educate myself to stay ahead of that. And that's books and podcasts and coaching and lots of different things. So it's still continuing because this, this new world, so we, we sold 80 something percent of our business to private equity firms. So we're a minority owner now, which means I have a boss, which yep. is a board of directors. And they're, they're lovely. It's a great team. They've taken really great care of us and been very kind while we learn this new, new game. Uh, so I'm the CEO on the go forward and, and we are, uh, we've got an acquisition in San Antonio, which is closed one in, in Denver where we've got several really cool ones in the pipeline all over the U S. And so I'm on a plane a lot these days and, um, it's just, it's just really, really cool to learn all this, this, this neat stuff. And we've got uh, some really great processes and radiant. We're wanting to share those with the companies we bring in and uh, the one in San Antonio, we watched just extraordinary results just after like three or four weeks of training with their team, like, like doubling, tripling kind of, kind of exponential performance enhancement. So that was really gratifying. And I think there's a, a part of me that really wanted to test what we did in Austin somewhere else and just say was, I'd kind of like to just prove that it, it's yeah, was this a one-off or is yeah. it a really successful yeah. method? Yeah. <laughs> ego. It's all just ego. <laughs> but, but I want to do it. <laughs> so there you go. But it's it's fun, you know, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's not about money anymore. That's That part's done. 
it's uh, really fun and exciting and and a new challenge. And it was funny because that, that's a super strange experience because uh, one day some money was wired and, and financially our lives are never going to be the same. And um, that's weird because I don't will never need to work again. I wouldn't need to for three lifetimes. And it's like, uh, what, what am I doing with my life now? It's another really unsettling identity kind of a moment. And I just woke up one night after a few months of just trying to figure out what it was about and um, realized it's like, this was the, the voice, you know, it's like, you haven't learned <laughs> what you need to learn yet to do the next thing that you need to do. And it's like, hmm, okay. <laughs> And that's, that's I'm, to I'm the here point. to learn. Yeah, here to learn. I mean, what's the legacy? I mean, giving back, just as you mentioned, and you and you spoke yeah. about it in your book, and and here now, and I, you know, it's just amazing, Brad. I mean, such a wealth of knowledge, you know, from the systems and and how to be successful with your spouse, and so, you know, especially as you with the new acquisition and and where you're heading now, uh, where can our listeners find you? Um, we have a website, bradsarah.com, um, and you can reach us there. And then on, on uh, Facebook, I think it's the Survival Guide to Working with Your Spouse on Facebook. Yeah. Um, love to see you there. And and we're going to start uh, doing some interviews of, of uh, couples, couple-focused interviews. And, and uh, I think that's going to be really fun. Uh, I hope to do some crazy interventions. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I'd love it to get scrappy. Uh, but but uh, that's kind of – and again, that's like – this is just kind of a, a fun project for me. I just – we're totally just doing this for fun and just because I think it's a cool thing to do. And and, and if, if we're lucky at all, a uh, few people get some real serious help out of this and go through the pain a lot faster than we did. Which is, which is super valuable. So Brad, thank you again. Really appreciate making time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss and also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.